0: Hi, it's Susan, and I'm an expert in helping musicians to have better relationships with themselves and with the world. This episode features Caroline Juster, trombonist turned personal trainer, and Caroline shares how she navigated the fear and shame around leaving her orchestral performance track studies, and how the mental and physical habits from music now guide her philosophy and work as a personal trainer. Enjoy. Enjoy welcome to today's episode of the change your tune podcast i'm your host susan eldridge and today i'm delighted to welcome our guest caroline juster who's a fitness professional caroline welcome thank you happy to be here um, can you tell us about your life and your work in, the, in in the fitness industry
1: yeah absolutely so i live in chicago Uh, I actually came here through music school, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but uh, I work mostly online and I do some in-person training. So I love to use uh, strength training and what I call no-nonsense nutrition, which would be sort of the anti-fad diet approach. And I use that stuff to help my clients live their best lives outside the gym. I actually work with a lot of creative people, musicians, artists, Um, Or even people that work in fields like marketing or in tech and they have a creative side to their job. I find that a lot of these people are held back in some way, mentally, uh, emotionally, spiritually, like because they're not in shape, because they don't have good endurance, because they feel weak. It affects their confidence, it affects their ability to do fun things or to show up in their work. And that was something that I experienced back when I was in music before I got into this career path. And so I'm really passionate about just getting people stronger, getting people to make healthy choices, learn to love moving their bodies. Um, I just, I really like helping those types of people because that's the type of person that I was myself. So I do a lot of one-on-one coaching with people, uh, mostly online, as I mentioned, but I do some in-person training as well. And then I also have training programs that I uh, sell to people. I do some group coaching programs and some other education, things like that. So pretty diverse work, but I really enjoy it.
0: It's fantastic to hear, and it sounds like the um, like the, the the value in the work, the values in the work that you do is helping others to take responsibility for themselves. Absolutely, and uh, and giving them the skills and the tools and the confidence to be able to do that themselves, rather than feeling helpless where they and stuck where they are. I guess.
1: Yeah. So, two of my biggest coaching values are um, empowerment and autonomy. So I tell clients that I don't want them to need me. So that's where the autonomy piece comes in. I want to teach people to give them the skills to help themselves, to do things that work with their lives. And then I try to take a really positive, empowering spin on things. So much of the fitness industry is so predatory and negative. And I want people to see that, even if they're never gonna be an elite athlete, Or they're never going to step on a bodybuilding stage or something like that that they can use fitness and use nutrition to just live
0: their version of their best lives so that's what i'm all about carolyn i think we do exactly the same work except you just insert the word music back in where you insert kind of fitness or well-being it's about helping them understand um, the systemic issues in the stories that we're being told about the lives we live and giving them some skills to make decisions for themselves so that's um incredible to hear that you that you're doing that with a lot of creative people as well because you know there's lots of jokes about musicians and exercise (laughs) and none of them are good absolutely no (laughs) um so you talked about empowerment and autonomy that you value that um in the work that you do with your clients but i'd love to dig into how that applies to your story and how how you've come to have those two things as values because you um, referenced, Jolly that you went to school for music. Um, can you tell us about how, how you got there um, and then what happened after school to get to where you are now?
1: Yes, so I often joke that I'm the last person that I would have expected to be working in my industry. Uh, I was always involved in music from a really young age. I played piano and then I played guitar and then I was singing and I played horn actually for a little bit. And then trombone was my main instrument, my main passion. So I was not a very athletic kid. <laughs> I, my parents made me do sports, but I hated them and I was bad at them. And I felt very out of place there, very awkward. Like it wasn't for me. Meanwhile, in music, I felt uh, I felt super comfortable. I felt like these are my people. I was naturally gifted and I built on that. Um, I did kind of what I would consider to be the traditional training for a, a brass player in, in the U.S. at least where you take private lessons at a young age, you do the honors ensembles in your state and at your school, you do competitions, you do youth orchestras. And then eventually when you're old enough, you start to do the summer sleep away programs and things like that. I did all of that stuff. I was really passionate about it. And then I was very excited to be able to go to Northwestern University, which is just north of Chicago, uh, which was and still is a very um, highly regarded school for brass just in general, being so close to the Chicago Symphony and the rich brass tradition there is amazing. And that was why I wanted to go there. I wanted to study with the teachers there. I wanted to be able to see the CSO. I wanted to be in that culture. And so I went to music school and I music school was challenging. Um, I don't think that I was emotionally prepared for the things that I was going to encounter there. My studio was supportive, uh, I think probably more supportive than maybe some other studios, even at my own school. But everything was ruthless and competitive. And um, I feel like I needed a kind of in retrospect, I needed a kind of teaching, a kind of support that I didn't really get in the conservatory setting and I didn't know that it was that I needed that even so I was very unprepared. So, you know, I was going through music school, I was working hard but perhaps not as successful as I hoped I would be and the feeling of panic starts to set in. It's different when you're in high school and music is your passion and your identity. It's it's very different when you go to college and all of a sudden you're faced with the prospect of having to make money and win auditions. It totally changed it for me. So so that was going on. And then at the same time, after my freshman year of college, I went home for a routine doctor's appointment and I had a health scare. My doctor told me that I was pre-diabetic. I was only 19 so this really freaked me out. I was pretty overweight at the time. Um, I had stopped playing sports some time ago so and that all of that baggage that I had about working out made me think that, you know, exercise wasn't for me. I was sort of doomed to be this way. But but this health really sparked something in me and I started working out. I started changing the way that I was eating. And I was realizing as I was doing this, that this stuff was super interesting to me. So I would be at work, I had a campus job, and instead of doing my homework, I was reading training blogs and nutrition studies, and I was just learning and really absorbing a lot of stuff. So I made this great personal transformation. I was super interested. And my mom told me, oh, you should get a personal training certification because It would be a great part-time job as you're pursuing the music thing, as you're taking auditions, you know, you'll have something else that you can do on the side. So I did that. And then my senior year at Northwestern, I was uh, training classmates in the music school under the table at a campus gym. There was like a gym that wasn't well-staffed. And uh, I was there with people giving them cheap sessions just to get experience. And that was actually the first thing that really showed me that I loved working with musicians in that capacity because all my clients were fellow music students. Then I, um, I hit that graduation point, which is really scary. You know, what am I gonna do? I'm not taking auditions yet. I don't feel ready. Oh, I guess I'll go to grad school, which is what I did. Um, I went to the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. And while I was out there, I, I don't know. I, I started falling like even more out of love with music. I was getting much more disillusioned with the whole narrow-minded focus on like the orchestral audition as like the sole thing. And I was realizing that I felt other than training, like I didn't really have a lot of other skills. So I was starting to panic even more. Um, The last thing that I did in the music world, which was actually really really rewarding, was I I had left SFCM, I took a leave of absence, but I was in this program with the San Francisco Symphony, called Adventures in Music, where we went into schools and we played for little kids. And that was really fun. So that I had like, you know, several months where, I was working full time as a professional, and then after that, I basically stepped out of the music world, moved back to Chicago, and started working full time in fitness. So, kind of a wild ride.
0: A wild ride, but not but not uncommon, uh, which is exactly why we're doing this, why we're having this conversation, doing this podcast, Caroline. What I what I'm hearing so strongly out of that story is that. When you were um, striving, striving for a set of um, success, when you were striving for a very niche version of success in music, that that like you just felt bad. And we, you know, in school you loved music, and it was a really important part of uh, important part of. Uh, who you are and what you do, and then focusing on that solely with its narrow, as you said, its narrow focus that you felt bad, but um, taking, because you have little control and um, and autonomy as a music student. You're told what generally told, what to play in the ensembles, teach you what tells you what to play. So there is this very little ownership and autonomy of what's happening to you at music school. It happens at you and for you. And then when you found training that gave you that sense of autonomy and suddenly you started feeling good about yourself and about where you could go in the world so like it's really no surprise that that now comes out as such a, a value in your work with others is that that's exa- exactly the journey you had of, in, of empowerment and changing the way you your emotions changing the way you're experiencing your, mo- your emotions and that then having a flow and effect to the way that you feel about being in your body so it's a yeah it's a phenomenal story and, yeah. Um, yeah, I just I'm really interested to hear then. So once you had that um, outreach experience with the orchestra, with their Adventures in Music program, which was so great to hear that you had a positive um, experience on your instrument and, you know, music is service, music is helping others. And you said you, you stepped away. Can you tell me a little bit more about about that really about that time like what what was the decision making process what were the prior what were the um, choices that you felt you had what were the challenges that you had maybe like financially or geographically about those next first next steps out of grad school
1: yes so it was a very challenging period for a lot of reasons Um, some of which I've already mentioned just that fear of what am I going to do as I'm looking at job sites trying to apply for jobs. I don't have any kind of experience. I don't have internships. Um, I don't have a lot of the like basic qualifications that some of these office jobs had that I applied for and of course didn't get any responses for. Um, I think part of that too was maybe this is a product of being in music or maybe this is just the way that our world views careers in general but I didn't think that training could be like a real career and I had kind of very narrow set um, lanes, if you will, of what people could do. So I had done the music lane and then I was getting some pressure from family members. It's like, oh, well, you're in training. So you should go to med school because that's the quote unquote acceptable path. And I lacked context to see that there are plenty of people that are working as entrepreneurs that are creating their own kind of jobs. And that honestly, you don't even need specific education to do those kinds of jobs. And in fact, having a creative education is very helpful. But so that was part of it was just not having the vision really to know what I could do, or to know that I could make it in this new thing that I was exploring. There were certainly other issues as well. Um, Geographic, you mentioned, so I had moved to San Francisco. I had spent quite a lot of money. It's not cheap to live there. Um, I had drove myself out there, moved away from the Midwest. And now I was facing the prospect of how am I going to, I'd left school. How am I going to support myself in this expensive city? I only have so much savings, you know, this there's, there's pressures in addition to the um, just to making the decision of like joining the adult world and figuring out where you're going to be and how you're going to pay for things. Uh, I think a big part of it, too, was just that shedding the identity of being a musician. I had this experience in school. I'm sure other people have felt the same where if somebody left the program to pursue something else. It was, it was like a shame thing. So instead of it now I would say, oh, that good for that person. Like they realized that this wasn't for them um, and they're pursuing something that's better. Like, and you know, maybe the fact that they did it earlier is gonna better prepare them. Uh, versus someone who stayed music out of fear but everybody who stayed it seemed like people felt like they were better than that person like they had made it um and that the other person had failed and so I, I saw that and absorbed it for so long that as I was facing that decision myself of what seemed like a massive failure and like a I've invested all this time and money in being a musician and now I was just gonna leave it like that was really challenging um, I didn't know what my identity was going to be I had some ideas perhaps but I felt like in a way I had to like create myself from scratch especially after the narrow-minded like relentless path of the conservatory where you're told over and over directly or indirectly that it's either orchestra or teach and those are the only acceptable jobs so there was a lot of uncertainty like external and then internal just trying to figure all of that out
0: and I think in in it's so you you've so beautifully spoken about your experience that that is the experience that's probably the majority experience. I mean, I work in the college system, and it's the majority experience. And I I would say it's even worse than orchestra or teaching. It's orchestra or death. <laughs> opera yeah, or death. I saw that too. <laughs> opera or death, and then you get into the orchestra or opera, and then it's break or die are your two exit strategies. And I think what, what exactly what exactly what you spoke about about this people choosing choosing to leave for their well-being whatever that way what ends up is we've built this culture that success equals who can tolerate the most suffering because the people who stay in the system are not the happiest ones they're the ones who've got the deepest well to suffer and then they're the ones that work, become do their DMAs, I'm, I'm, and I'm throwing a really, you know, I'm throwing a big blanket over a lot of people here, but but this is from years of working in this sector, is they go to grad school and they go do their DMA and they get a TA job in college and they they work their way up through the ranks, and all the, the the fundamental value that they bring is their ability to absorb and tolerate suffering in a system that is not designed around the human experience. And then they get into orchestras and the same thing happens. And, you know, maybe there are moments of um, meaning and joy, but the whole system is really not built around um, people being well and being able to articulate their version of what success looks like for them and the schools celebrating and championing that. So, yeah, it's really, really problematic because then that feeds back to exactly what you said about when I finished. I think the words you said was, I don't have any experience. You know, and like, I've just written the great big, oh, yes, you do. Yes, you did. Um, but you did. That realization came later, yes. Yeah, yeah. And imagine if you'd had someone say to you, actually, here's, here's the skill that you have, that you've gained. Here's, um, here are people applying that in lots of different ways the qualifications that you have that have uh, the training that you've had that's taught you to think in a certain way and see the world in a certain way is really valuable because that's what's going on is especially now, last year 2020 and gonna be this year 2021, for those music grads, it's even worse for them than it was for us because the sector has been decimated and there's going to be a contraction. Um, and unless we have these stories of I did, I studied music and I either loved it or it was meh or it was, I you know, it broke me. Um, but here's what I'm doing now with my skills and here's how my skills directly make me really great at this work that I choose to do now. So um, this whole set you talked about set in a lane and the problem is the the stories that are presented about success are so narrow and um yeah
1: one that was big at Northwestern at least that I got was this idea that if you even had like a backup plan that that was admitting defeat that like exploring other skills or other areas meant that you were taking time away from music which meant you weren't hardcore enough and you were never gonna succeed and that wasn't necessarily spoken by the professors, but everybody knew that. And so that is also really damaging because it prevents people from exploring other interests or things because they think, oh, then I'll never be successful.
0: And just making a leap back to what you were saying also, uh, and again, I'm not, um, not making any judgments about the teaching at Northwestern or the college, but you were saying when you got to college, that was when it was really challenging and the emotional support that's needed um, for all music students was non-existent and it was ruthless and competitive. And I'm, I'm making an assumption, but I'm guessing the general theme was, well, you just need to practice more. And yeah. that's, that's, and then, <laughs> yeah, and then anything other than practicing is wasting your time. Uh, and all that that practicing is, is it's, and, and, you know, do they teach you how to practice efficiently Most schools don't, they make an assumption that you know how to. So you end up with this whole cohort of students spending hours in the practice room, not actually achieving anything because they don't have the right tools because there isn't a required subject about um, research-based or evidence-based practice strategies and high impact practice strategies. They make an assumption. So, but this whole, if you're not in the practice room that you're not doing anything that's valuable and not being doing anything other than being in the practice room being like not only a waste of time, but detrimental to your progress.
1: Yeah. So this is a story that I, I mean, maybe some of it is just my personality, but I think a lot of it comes from music school. And this is this idea that exactly what you said, if you're not in a practice room, then you're wasting time potentially. I remember feeling jealous of my friends that were not in the music school every, at the end of the semester, they would take their finals. And then I felt, man, they can go home and relax. Meanwhile for me, it never ends. And this is something that I've struggled with even in my current job is it's hard to shake this story that you build in your head that if you're not always working and always being productive that you're not being as valuable or you're not as worthwhile. And so I think that music schools could do do better in that regard. Yeah
0: yeah, I agree and I'm um, you know just you know if we were even if they talked about the practice room being, are uh, not actually a room in a basement in a school of music, but actually it's the time on task. So practice is time on task when you're investing in your growth and development as a creative person. And, you know, a lot of that should be on, on the instrument because whether you're going to play or teach, you need, you need to be uh, highly proficient. And also there are other things that are practice that are part of your practice um, that you need to invest in. So they could really, it, would, it wouldn't be much to change their use of that word um, to include things like, you know, going to other, going to call it, going to the um, concerts of your colleagues or um, looking after yourself as you've, you know, as was your experience, like doing a workout because your body's a machine and, and um, it needs to be part of the story of your artistry. So yeah, it wouldn't be hard to change that. Um, Caroline, I'd love to hear a little bit more about then how your training and how your experience in music um, influences the work that you're doing now. So I've been thinking about
1: this a lot recently. Uh, I think, so I think first that my music training affected my personal fitness journey, which then in turn affected the way that I work with clients and the way that I'm able to maybe communicate ideas. The biggest piece is, We were just talking about practicing. So, for all the issues with practicing, it does impart a certain level of discipline and attention to detail and persistence in things that are maybe not so glamorous. So, I think about many mornings playing long tones and lip slurs. And that's not, nobody gets into music to play long tones and lip slurs. Everybody wants to play in an ensemble, they want to play pieces, they want to. Be out doing the cool things but in order to do that you really have to put in the time on that simple stuff and in fitness it's the same because there's so much emphasis in our culture on like flashy transformations and quick fixes and in reality any person that has built like a healthy lifestyle who has maintained a weight loss who is physically fit as they continue to age They're not really doing those types of things. Primarily, it's all about those little details, the daily things that they put in, even when they don't feel like it. And I think that that mindset prepared me perhaps to be more willing to do that than some other people. Like I think of some of my clients who've had a really hard time making that transition. And I think that music prepares you for that because it's just what you do as a musician for so many years. Um, Another one is that for all of the issues that I had in music school dealing with performance anxiety and maybe some like emotional issues that I was unprepared to deal with. I, it did build a certain level of resiliency and comfortable uh, comfort with, with fear and failure because I knew no matter what, even if I, it was miserable and I bombed out, I knew I was going to have to stand up on stage and play auditions for ensembles. I knew I had to play in studio class. I knew I had to do certain things and I think that that has helped me a lot in my career, I guess, because doing more of like the entrepreneurship online thing, there's a lot of uncertainty and kind of maybe making it up as you go, trying new things. And there's a lot of failure involved And this is definitely something I still struggle with, but I think that music gives you a certain amount of, of um, comfort with that. Maybe that some people don't have, and that could be applied to lots of different professions. I'm sure. That's a big one. And then I think too, that, I'm really grateful for my music education. I, I have no regrets about going to music school and spending all that time because the way that it lets me see the world and the way that I appreciate connections between different fields that a lot of people may not be familiar with or may not see the world in that way, I think it gives me like fresh eyes. And I think that especially in a creative profession, that's super valuable because, again, speaking of lanes, people are still used to doing things like things one way and they in fitness there are other like industries maybe that are a lot of people talk about but others that people have no idea about no connections to and the clients that we work with aren't all in the fitness space in fact many times they have no connections that we do but they have other connections so i think that having an arts education just it allows you to connect with people better to see the world in a different way and i think that's again valuable in just about any profession i think having fresh eyes is always a good thing
0: and also uh, that's, you've articulated that so beautifully and also fundamentally to connect uh, with vulnerability with another human. So yeah, that's really what you do when you step up on stage and perform, right? It's what you do when you're in the horn section, when you're playing trombone quartets is you have to be willing to be seen. And that's exactly what you talked about in your work as an entrepreneur. I have to put my work out there um. I have to make decisions and I have to make an interpretation of what, the same thing as we would, if you were given a, you know, a a trombone concerto is you, there is kind of some guidelines around, you know, tempi and style, um, but there's a whole load of decisions that, artistic decisions that you have to make about how to tell that story. And that's exactly the same as entrepreneurs and self-employed as we are now, as you start with a blank page, you've kind of got some idea, but it's very uncertain and there's no right and there's no wrong and we have to be willing to like stick a flag in the sand and say well this is t- today as of today this is how I'm doing this um, and I, I reserve the right to change my mind <laughs> because you know hopefully we're learning from uh, learning from what we're doing and changing it but I think that's really and that's a as you said that's a really important thing that maybe in the science to, and that's STEM disciplines where there are right and wrong answers, because if you're doing research or brain surgery, you don't want to be improvising um, necessarily. Uh, so it's like this um, idea of being able to be in this space of uncertainty and just make a decision about what your work and what your story that you're telling is craft is going, as your craft is going to be, and then just going forward with that and being in that space of um, uh discomfort yeah Yeah, one
1: thing I've been thinking about too recently is for a long time after music I I thought well I'm not in music or like the arts quote unquote so I guess I'm not a creative person anymore and Mm. as I've explored my career more and especially the work that I do now where I'm doing a lot of writing and uh, working like one-on-one with people and communicating like there's so much creativity in all of that and I think that people that leave the arts maybe, or maybe people in general, they think that creativity is only in the arts, but really you can use those skills and apply them in so many professions. And it's so like the stuff you can do with it that is really incredible if you think that you actually are a creative person, in fact.
0: There's a, um, a really great interview I did in the last series of the podcast with Jeff Collinson, who was principal horn of the opera and ballet orchestra here in Australia in the, in the Sydney Opera House. And he's now an entrepreneur and he says, I feel far more creative as an entrepreneur than I ever did as a player because, as a player, I was replicating, and in business, I have to make. and He said, um, "I can't just paraphrase, but he said, I feel like a composer, and I because I, I, I get to improvise and make things up now rather than have to follow a set of guidelines." And he said, "It's it's just so freeing to be able to know." Um, yeah, there's no right. And I, I can make the decisions that we talked about that, you know, with uh, when you're in, in, in music school and in the profession is this uh, a lot of spaces where you, you are disempowered. Yeah. Um, and that leads to a lot of unhappiness. I'm wondering also, you talked a little bit, um, and I love the long tones being a brass player. I'm all about using <laughs> the long tones. And I'm sorry if we've got like pianists um, or opera singers yeah. listening who don't know um, long tones, it's basically an exercise. It is what it, it is what it, says <laughs> just pretty much <laughs> play you play eggs you know you're just playing uh um semi breeze on a on a on a static tone for minutes and minutes and minutes to build your resistance but I'm wondering if that particularly that kind of stuff that we do as brass players if that also helps when you're working with your clients because you you've had to sit in that discomfort and when you're working with clients if, if that's if that helps you help them
1: Yeah, I think so. So I think part of it is that piece of just talking people through the expectation that some things are not going to be especially fun and that that's okay and that's the way that it is and like, why are we doing this? What bigger picture is this in service of? I think too, um, there's a particular kind of mindfulness. This is a little bit of a side thing, but that you bring to it when you're playing long tones. I mean, at least in the style of teaching that is the Chicago School of Brass, the whole idea is that you sing in your head And then what that comes out of the horn. And so you really have to be very focused on what you're doing. And I try, this is another one of my coaching values is I try to help people become more in touch with like what they're doing, what choices are they making? This is especially relevant when it comes to food, but how can we be like more present and more engaged with what we're doing? And so it's a little less direct, but I think that that kind of mindset translates really well to fitness as well.
0: And I think particularly, um, where this could be really valuable is in, like I have teenage um, teenage uh, children and I see the mindlessness that social media provokes in them. And it's designed, there are people that are way smarter than you and I who are like experts in manipulation of our attention. Um, it's designed to do that. Um, so simply, you know, that, that's something I think that, that could be really crucial is in, in this generation that have grown up being mindlessly scrolling um is building the skills around mindfulness and attention where where is your attention and what are you thinking about right now and I, because it's we're up we're we're fighting an uphill battle against people who are smarter than us to manipulate our attention onto a screen right so and that's the, actually why i've been thinking about that connection is for me personally as i've been
1: working more online. I'm also prone to scrolling and reading the news and doing things that are not productive. And when I find myself getting sucked into those holes, one of the things that I do now is I pull out my trombone and I play long tones and <laughs> lip slurs. That's literally what I do. And it, it helps me get more centered. And then I get a nice break from work and then I can go back and feel refreshed. So I, that's, I've literally been using that tool recently. And so I could see how for kids or anybody really, that that could also be helpful.
0: That's amazing, we should rebrand the trombone as the anti-Instagram. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, the ultimate anti-Instagram tool. Um, so that was the next question I was going to ask, um, Caroline, is what where is music in your life right now? What purpose does it serve for you?
1: So this has changed a lot in the last year. Um, when I stepped away from music, when I moved back from San Francisco, there was just so much hurt and like pain associated with music that I knew that I needed a big break. And so I carried my trombones with me through multiple moves. I still have boxes of music and mutes and stuff. And I never got rid of them because I did know on some level that I would come back to it, but I didn't know what that time frame would be. And I didn't try to rush it. I just allowed myself to pursue my new career and uh, adjust to, you know, my new identity and everything that went along with that. In the meantime, this whole, when I my senior year of Northwestern into my time in San Francisco, I discovered that I was really interested in different types of music that I hadn't been exposed to before, like um, electronic music, house and techno and things like that. So music remained an important part of my identity as I was going out to see different types of live music and meeting people in different musical communities. And I was very passionate about that and, and still am. I mean, it's not really happening now due to COVID, but that was a good way to continue like my love of music in a way that was completely separate from classical music so for a long time that was like my whole musical identity just as a fan it was nice to be a fan and just go to shows and concerts and not have to worry about comparing myself or again trying to make a living recently at actually at the start of the pandemic I I realized that like I was ready a part of me was really ready to go back to classical music specifically and so I went into a phase where I was like really rediscovering all of this great music that I loved, like orchestral music. Um, I really love solo piano, so I was listening to a lot of piano, like a lot of the old brass recordings and trombone and different brass ensembles and things that I used to listen to. And I was just really like falling back in love with the music, of course, at the same time that I wasn't able to go to concerts, <laughs> which is kind of a shame, but... And then shortly after that, I decided that I was ready to start playing again. And so I brought out my trombones and I had played a, maybe a couple times in five years. And I was <laughs> my control. My endurance was totally gone. But I was actually amazed that I retained quite a lot. Maybe some of that was the natural ability that I had as a kid. But I think a lot of it is because of the many, many years and all of the hours of study and practice. So. For a while, I was very bad and <laughs> I couldn't play for very long, but I would just play those basic things. And in time, like I'm nowhere near probably what I was at the height of my playing, but I feel pretty confident on the instrument now. I've got my range back for the most part. Uh, I'm playing etudes and solos that I used to play. And it's just really, it's fun. It's nice to play just for myself, you know, to have that not be my whole identity wrapped up. It's like, I'm a professional musician and I have to achieve a certain level and play in a certain way, but just to do what I want. And I'm excited that eventually when life does return to normal at some point, as it will, to seek out opportunities to play more in community groups or with friends. I mean, I have a lot of friends from Northwestern that are still around. Some are in music, some are not. And so I'm excited to like rejoin the musical world kind of in my own terms but for now it's just really great to play just for me and to listen to music and like it and not feel all the
0: pressure that I used to feel it's really nice. <laughs> it's so fantastic to hear um, and we started right at the beginning of the discussion you were talking about um, empowerment and autonomy and that that's like that's full that's coming full circle from you and also that you you referenced that your work is not about fad and quick fix it's about you know whole holistic change of the way people think and that like investing in investing in the long-term benefits even though the immediate um, choice to do that might be a bit unpleasant or unfun and that's exactly what happened you know you said you carried your all the trombones and the mutes and the music with you um so that that idea of um i've been, i'm i'm in this for the long haul and i can choose i mean giving up's not quite the right word but i can choose to not do this right now because i'm invested in this story Was is going to be part of my life somehow and like not not making the immediate thing that you are experiencing the bigger picture. Uh, yep. but that's yeah exactly what you've just referenced in, in the last couple of years and then coming back and then the work that you do with the clients. So it's um, this is, all comes from music education, right? Yes, it really does. <laughs> um, so, Carolyn, just in closing, if, you, if anybody's listening that is um, whatever age they are or wherever they are in their career, but they are about where you were um, when you were in San Francisco, which is um, a little bit lost and unsure, what is there anything you would like to share with them that you think you may have found helpful at that point?
1: So I guess a few things. The first is that I had some trusted professors, teachers that i had worked with for many years at Northwestern and elsewhere even before and I when I was on the fence I had some conversations with some of them and I remember one of them told me he was basically like to do the orchestral music thing you really have to be 100% in and if part of you is unsure like that's a sign that it's not for you and that's o- that's okay so I think and I actually he's this professor that I'm thinking of has directed some of his students to me since then to to talk to them who are in the same boat and I really I, I really believe that like it's such a it's such a tough <laughs> career path and it's so competitive that if you're not if you're doubting you know, I don't know. I think maybe people would say, oh, stick with it. But I would say, if you're doubting, maybe that's a sign that you should look elsewhere. So that would be the first thing. The other thing is that you just, I would trust that you really do have valuable experience that can translate to other career paths, even if they're non conventional, even if you can't see them. Um, I thought, like we mentioned before, that I was just, um, you know, I was in bad shape. I had nothing to offer, but that really wasn't true at all. And in 2021, as crazy as the world is, we are blessed to live in a time where there are so many ways to make a living and connect with people and and work that you can absolutely use what you have for music. You just may not be able to see it yet. And the last thing is related to that, but just like if trust that everything will work out, especially if people are younger and you don't have a lot of life experience like I was, I think everything seems like the end of the world and there's so much fear. And I think I mean, that professor was helpful, but I think if I had someone tell me like, it's all going to be fine, like you're going to figure it out. And I really believe that. <laughs> I think that would have helped a lot. <laughs> uh,
0: and I, I think the the word you just used about believe is really, really crucial. Like that, that's that been um, one of the things that I have had come out of, of 2020 and, um, and all the lockdowns and the change, you know, the loss of work at my end was, if I don't believe it's going to be different, that it can be different, then I'm going to suffer. So I, I, I either need to, I either need to believe and take the steps in the direction of what I want to achieve and the change I want to make for others, and believe that it will be okay, or I have to choose to go do something else. Because if I can't believe in it, I can't. Um, I don't have that resilience when the going is tough and when it's when the when the things around me are not in alignment with how I want them to be. So I think that's a really, a crucial point is that uh, you need to be wherever you are, you need to be able to believe that it can be different. Yeah, absolutely. The mind is very powerful. (laughs) Go music education. That's what it is. Um, Caroline, this has been a, a really beautiful conversation. Thank you so much for sharing with such honesty and vulnerability about your story and i'm really um grateful and honored that you shared that with us we'll put links to um anything we've discussed in your work in the show notes and anyone who wants to find you um that, and do some work with you um, you're pretty easy to find on the internet so thank you so much and um i can't can't wait to uh to stay in touch with you and see what happens with your playing as things open up yes thank you i really enjoyed this conversation thanks caroline Hey, thanks for listening and for making it all the way to the end if you've enjoyed this episode then please help me share these stories by sharing this with others you can post about it on your socials on linkedin facebook instagram or you can leave me a rating and a review about this podcast to catch all the latest from me you can follow me on facebook or instagram at notable values thanks again for listening and i'll see you next time